I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Welcome back to your first million. It's Arlen. So happy to have you here and so excited about this next episode, this next interview. Ryan Hoover, he's been a buddy of mine for several years now, maybe four, three or four years. He is the co-founder and CEO of Product Hunt, a startup that many of you know. And if you're not, if you're not familiar with him, definitely stick around. He is somewhat of a... I don't know if this is not meant to be derogatory, but it's just true in my opinion. He's like the poster boy for for what startups are, and I know I know that that probably uh, is a little nuts. And we talked about we talked about that a little bit. So listen in. I asked him, you know, what is it like to be so well known when it comes to startups? Because his startup is actually a curator and a place where other startups go to launch and to promote themselves. And so he has been involved with thousands and thousands of products, get the name, Product Hunt, being launched. And so he's seen a lot of it. Now, more recently, he sold Product Hunt to AngelList. The company still acts on its own. It's autonomous for the most part, but it's part of the AngelList family. And Ryan is at the helm of it. So I met up with Ryan at his new place in Los Angeles where he's relocated from San Francisco. He is one of the nicest guys. I mean, really sharp and really accomplished but just one of those guys who's like super nice and really wants to pay it forward, really wants to collaborate. And we talked a little bit about how being that nice and that open kind of can take its toll on you as well. So again, I think this episode is for anyone who struggles with time management and not letting people down and that sort of thing and knowing when to really do for yourself and take the time away for yourself. I think it's something that we're, we're all really struggling with and, and working on, work in progress. But Ryan talks about it candidly, and I, I think that's really cool. So stick around for that, and uh, I'll see you on the other side of it. Where are we right now, Ryan? We're Hoover. in Los Angeles. Yes. Yes. And are we specifically we're at your house? Yeah. As so of a couple of weeks ago. Do you live here? I do. You live here now. You live in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Yeah. I've been, well, if you follow me on Instagram, you might know, but otherwise haven't really talked about it. So. Yeah. There's, there are going to be people who aren't familiar with you, but become familiar with your story and your website, Product Hunt. 
on this episode. And then there are plenty of people who know you. Talk about the decision to move to LA from San Francisco. How long yeah. were you in San Francisco? So I was, I've been living in San Francisco since 2010. I moved from Oregon, uh, Portland, and before that, Eugene, and learned a lot, met so many cool people. Like actually, Product Hunt wouldn't exist if I didn't move to San Francisco. Not because you necessarily need to be in San Francisco, especially today to build a company by any means, but it's the people I met. And I think the influencers like this, this influence that you get whenever you go to a new city that changes the way you think and the people you meet and so on. And, and so that's sort of part of the inspiration for moving to LA. Um, you know, part of it, Susie and I have been together for four years. She lives in LA. We've been long distance. So that's certainly a big influence, but also professionally and like personally, I think being in a new city and a new environment after living in SF for you know almost 10 years, I think is refreshing and hopefully will open up new serendipity for me. And for those who don't know, who is Susie? So Susie is my girlfriend, Susie Rue. She's awesome. I've followed her. She's been investing for about four years or so. Like right when we met, she got into venture. So I learned a lot about venture through her and uh, now she's working a new company. So, and And she's great. She's wonderful. Really supportive. Look her up. We will link to her as well. What do you say your occupation is today? Are you, are you, you're still day-to-day CEO of Product Hunt or has that changed at all? Yeah. Yeah. That's my, I guess, day job, maybe you can call it. And, um, and then I'm also investing out of a fund I raised as well. Yeah. Do you ever think about the fact that like a a few decisions you made a few years ago kind of led you to be a well-known person in this whole startup world? I mean, do you ever think about it and, and kind of, do you understand the impact you've had? I think whenever you build, and, and it's not me, of course, just building, um, it's my team and, and the community and everything. And, and, and so I don't want to make it sound like it's just me, but whenever you're a part of building something um, in technology, a product that people use, I think products and technology is one of the most high, highest levers that you can, I think, impacts that you can make in the world in some cases. And it results in these kind of hopefully positive externalities as well that you can't even like measure. And so on Product Hunt, for example, there's today there's a kid that launched something who is going to go on hopefully that moment, that that positive experience of launching, getting feedback, getting some sort of social validation, some support leads that kid to go on and learn more or pursue a company two or three years from now. And, and so I think there's, I like to think that there's a lot of those moments that happen that we can't even track and, and measure. And, um, it's something I'm like very supportive. I've grew up with entrepreneurial parents and I'm a very like pro entrepreneur in general. Like we should support people who are trying to, you know, build something meaningful and different in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's your answer for how do you feel about being kind of spearheading a lot of this? It's really, you, you go back to the the team, the product, the, what you've built instead of who you are. Right. Does that just feel natural to you? Cause it's, it's yeah. a little bit, it's a little deflecting, but it's not yeah. a, in a bad way. You, you answer the question, but it's almost like, you know, I get to talk to all kinds of people with different levels of success and money. Mm-hmm. And some people will, well, yeah, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> and then some people yeah. just, they can't stand to, to praise themselves. I think, I think it might be my, my tendency to answer in that type of fashion is probably my tendency or aversion against the people who are on the other extreme who are like, yeah, I did everything and yeah, yeah, it's all me. And people who even use subtle language, like I, people that run companies that use I a lot is Mm -hmm. actually a signal to me. I'm like, Hmm, like you're, I think implicitly you're sort of discounting your team and all the other people that went into building this thing. It's not just you. Yeah. Um, So I think that's where I like always want to err on the side of like, 
openness and like acknowledge that it's not just me. And I will take credit for, you know, product wouldn't, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for me, of course. Um, but it also wouldn't exist for a lot of other people if they didn't help me along the way. How many people were at Product Hunt when you sold? Because you were acquired mm-hmm. by AngelList, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which how many people were there before you sold and did a lot stay on or did people go off and do their own thing? Yeah, we we actually had similar number of people to, to what we have now. Uh, so around 20 or so people yeah. um, during the acquisition. And, and um, you know, frankly, uh, well, it's the first acquisition I've gone through, only one I've gone through and one of the most nerve wracking experiences in my life, certainly. And it involved a lot of, um, when you sell a company, you lose a lot of control. And part of that control too, is like, who's going to come along and, and will everyone make it? And, and, and so we went, went through a process where there was actually, I've never mentioned this. I've never told the team this, where it was unclear what that transition path would look like. And it was really, I was actually scared and nervous. It was like, will I lose control to be able to hold on to teammates that helped us get here? Um, the good news is everyone loved everyone on the product and team. Everyone stayed on and it was like a really good transition. Now there were some people that did leave and, and some of that was more of a natural kind of career progression, which happened. Like you can't, you can't have everyone stick on no matter what <laughs> to your yeah. team forever. Um, you try and you want people to grow in the direction that they want to head to and and give them like ways to improve and, and kind of and grow. But sometimes you just, that isn't possible inside certain companies. So certainly some people left over the years, but I've also had like some strong teammates who've been with me for four plus years still to this day. What do you think happens to, to product hunt in the next few years? And, w- mm-hmm. and what, if anything, can you say about your role and, at product hunt for the next few years. Yeah. Cause you're in this, yeah. you're in LA now you've moved, you wanted a change of scenery to kind of inspire you. It seems like, um, you're not, it doesn't seem like you're like retiring. You're not going off to pasture. Right. No. But you're, <laughs> are you refueling? Are you yeah. reflecting what's happening? I've been, I've been doing a lot of reflection the past six months actually. And I'm still working through it. I'm seeing a coach. I'm going to look for a new therapist. And I'm working on a lot of like personal things. Um, everything's overall good, but there's like day-to-day stresses that probably don't need to be as stressful as they are to me. And so those are some things I'm working through. But in terms of my role, so with Product Hunt, we're, we're a little bit unique, maybe maybe less um, rare than than it used to be, but we're fully distributed. So my move to LA was really easy from a team perspective. I just picked up and now my Zoom background is different than it was before here in LA. And um, and so that was like a, a relatively easy transition. And I have teammates now, uh, what are we in like nine time zones, 10 time zones? So so that transition wasn't all that different. In terms of my role though, how it's changed, I've we just went through peer reviews. So we we have like a uh, every six month peer review process and it kind of forces people to give critical feedback and and things like that. And one thing I've been working on too is delegation and, and giving up responsibility, which is classic CEO challenge. It's like you start off doing everything in the beginning and then you hire people and then you continue to want to do the things that you hire these people to do because either your, your ego is driven by it or you think that you can do better. Sometimes you can do better, but that's not scalable. So, um, I've gotten better at that. I could still do better, I think, in, in giving up and in, in trusting the team. But right now I'm trying to focus my energies on the highest lever opportunities. So that's, I do do the podcast sometimes, but I probably shouldn't be doing the podcast every single week. 
my time is probably better spent on like product strategy and those types of things. Yeah. What do you think about Justin Kahn's take on zone of genius that he, he just spoke about in our yeah. last episode? Oh, that resonated. A few episodes yeah. back. I'm not sure exactly when it was. What do you think about that? It's funny. So Susie, Susie was the first one that mentioned the zone of genius and that concept to me. Uh, she went through Kaufman fellows and that was a, a concept they brought up early on. And, um, that's something I've been thinking a lot about. And I actually talked with my teammates about this and, and was really almost asking her, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you, what gives you energy? And as I was asking her that I was sort of asking myself that too. <laughs> and I was asking like, what are the things that I do enjoy doing that I like doing that are important in the company? And it's, it's something I'm reflecting more on. There's always going to be things that I don't want to do, unfortunately. Um, but I think I've gotten to the point where more and more of my work, a far majority of my work are things that I do enjoy and give me excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also saying no to more things. So I, I've gotten to the trap. You probably, I don't know if you run into this. Um, you get asked to go to dinners and to talks and to meetings and, and a million different things. And I've always said no to almost all of them, but there's still like a couple percentage, a few percent of those asks. I do say yes, because I feel socially uh, like obligated to, or I want to be nice. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm just saying no to everything that I don't want to do. Um, partly because it's given me like, in some cases, stress or just like feeling overwhelmed. I remember a tweet that you wrote a few days ago where you were talking about that very thing. Mm-hmm. Just like, I don't know. I haven't, I don't, I don't think I've heard anybody like have like a crossword about you, you know, and, and that's really hard to accomplish. But that also means that so many people just sort of look to you for certain things. So what's, what do you think about those misconceptions or are there misconceptions about you? Cause when I, when mm. I, the reason I'm asking it this way is because I'm, I think I might've even been guilty of this is just assuming you're good. You know what I mean? Just assuming <laughs> yeah. you're, you're good. You're, you, you got a, a successful company. You have, you're super connected. Um, love and life and all that's going well. You're, but What's a misconception that we might have? This is something I'm working through in, in the moment right now, actually. It's like figuring out there's a lot of things I want to do. I like work. I work on the weekends because I enjoy it, not because it's not because I have to even. I'm running a fund, uh, running product hunt, doing all these things, um, occasionally doing podcasts like these. And I overall enjoy it, but and I also want to make sure I have room for serendipity. And that that's one of the reasons why I would used to say like yes to this few percentage of like ass or events or whatnot. So I want to do a lot of things yet at the same time, I'm over committing myself in some cases. And as a result, I am constantly looking at the screen and constantly jumping from one thing to the next. And I'm starting to kind of take a step back and think about what are the things I absolutely need to do? And can I, at least for just a couple months, avoid doing all the things that I just don't absolutely have to do for a minute? Yeah. and see what happens. I forget who this was. It's it's um for CEOs of very large companies, like multi- hundreds and hundreds of people. I have heard this this response from some people who their CEO is like I don't know what to do. I've I'm like I have all this free time and I'm and my first thought is like how? How do you have all this free time? You're running like say like a billion dollar company, all these employees, you must be totally slammed. And and this isn't necessarily the right way to run a company, but like in this particular instance, it's like this person has hired everyone to do all the core day-to-day important things. And their job really is the high level strategic things that actually don't take a lot of time many times. Yeah. Like when people get to a certain level in their career, it's they're either able to make really core high level product decisions 
without like in very little time or high, high value introductions or business mm-hmm. deals. Um, and then kind of swoop in and they, they create a lot of value for the company, but they actually don't spend a lot of time. <laughs> it's this really weird counterintuitive thing. It's totally true. Like I think about when I worked in live music and mm-hmm. the tour manager made so like in these bigger tours that I was on, they'd make so much money. Cause I would see that because I was working on, mm-hmm. and I would see how much they're making. I couldn't believe it for the gig that they had. Mm-hmm. And one day my, my mentor, Jeff Perrin, he sat me down and he's like, I get paid for when all hell breaks loose. I get paid for the one day a year that all hell breaks loose. Everything else is just maintenance. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, hire well Mm -hmm. and hire uh, equally. Mm -hmm. But it's true like that. That's what I think a CEO's job is or in a, in a, in a founder's job Mm -hmm. is, is like the buck is going to stop with you, your reputation. So you have to make those core decisions, as you said, mm-hmm. but uh, well, has anything ever made you mad? <laughs> like, I know that's a stupid yeah. question because of course it has, but I've never seen you upset. Um, are you super Zen or like, like I asked <laughs> Justin if he was Zen. Cause yeah. Um, I do a good job of hiding it. Um, not okay. that I'm like uh, raging inside so all the like time. The Hulk. Um, I'm learning about Marvel Hulk, now. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. Susie, Susie would call me like, uh, there's like a Bowser mode and that sounds like terrible. It's not like I'm like flipping tables, like literally. Um, <laughs> is Bowser Hulk related? Uh, you know, Bowser from Mario, like the big no. Bowser. Oh, no, not at all. We're going to, I'll show you some Bowser later. Okay. But Bowser is like the enemy and like the, the end boss, um, in kind of the Mario universe. Um, and so anyway, Susie, people who I'm very, very comfortable with, like yeah. Susie knows everything about me back and forth. Uh, you know, she's, she's seen the side of me which, which gets angry or frustrated. And, you know, it might be things like I'm extremely hungry and, and, uh, you know, DoorDash is like an hour late past when they were going to arrive. And, you know, that's like, that's that, frustrating. Gets you, that gets you going, the blood going a little bit yeah. when I'm like, cause I'm, this is kind of going back to what I was saying when I'm extremely busy and, and, um, bouncing between one thing and the next, when something surprising hits my calendar or something unexpected, it it makes just everything more challenging because now I have to deal with this micro, tiny little thing, like tiny inconvenience along with everything else I'm doing. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a thing that piles up. And those those are the things that I need to to better manage. Yeah. But well, I don't show okay. that as much. I mean that's fair enough. And do you handle really tough things well do you feel like do, are you cool under pressure that kind of guy <laughs> i like to think so so i mean i just give an example of a very like small minor thing relatively speaking there's also thing instances where you know work stuff where especially building a community like there's always inevitably going to be something that goes wrong whether it's a mistake we made or a product's posted that is slightly controversial but not against our terms and yet it spirals into um, we were just talking before the podcast about like nuance and like how hard that is to um, address, especially on Twitter. And those things are tough because in a community, you have to be very thoughtful around how you respond and and being um, one stick to your principles, but being very, I, I guess, well-crafted in your response because you don't want people to misinterpret your meaning, your intentions. And so there's moments in that in like Protestant history where it's, it's challenging. It's just really yeah. hard because you're, because I fear, I fear this, things like this can spiral into bigger problems and, and situations and combine that with my personal desire not to disappoint people. I don't like mm-hmm. disappointing people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I used to call you Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We used to, we talked about yeah. that on one of our, we've done a couple podcasts together, yeah. like three different ones. Um, but it, the more, 
stuff that happens, the more like I see I'm in the fray or I see it, the more I'm like, I'm going to Ryan Hoover this because I'm not going to get in that. Like, yeah. like because it is, it, it can be draining. And also, again, you, you kind of make yourself trustworthy and kind of a go-to person. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to misconceptions, we were talking earlier, because this is called Your First Million. Mm-hmm. And everyone who's a guest has had their first million something. So I'm assuming you've had your first million dollars happen. Yeah. There's, he's mm-hmm. shaking his head. Yeah. He can't bring himself <laughs> to say yes. It's happened. <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> so it's happened because you're on the show. I think most people would just assume that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not a that's not a huge deal to say. But what have you found to be like the one of the biggest misconceptions after people know your business like that? And now that I'm asking yeah. for more business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like do, do people kind of hit you up and like show up and think that you're balling or something more so than you? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think certainly, yes, some people probably have that assumption, especially when you read headlines. Um, you know, there, there's some reports out there around some numbers and, um, especially when you see a headline, you see my face as the top head header photo. Um, you know, no, I did not. I don't have twenty million dollars sitting in a bank. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, a lot of acquisition prices. The real reality is they're distributed across investors, across vesting schedules. It's not like all of a sudden you get like a huge payday. Mm-hmm. Um, and frankly, a lot of my net worth is is in AngelList. So, like, I'm very incentivized for AngelList as a company to succeed because otherwise, I'm I'm worth much much less than I am today. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes to misconceptions about, about money, I mean, there's, there's this like cliche around like life isn't actually all that different in some ways. And I do wonder, I think when it comes to money, there's like a, a number that people hit in their life where if you have enough money for your basic needs, shelter, food, you can go out, uh, you know, uh, to the restaurant and you can do, um, basic things in life. Um, like the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs are kind of relatively set, there's that level. And then that that's like a milestone that will change your, you, you've experienced and you've been very open about your, your past history. Like that changes your life once you can have shelter, food, et cetera. Beyond that, for me, it feels like it's all marginally better. So you might, you might get your first, let's say $50,000 a year. And that's like changing your life. But then the next 50,000 is not going to be the same level of impact or change, I think. And then even the next million is actually probably not going to be nearly as meaningful as that first $20,000. So I think, I think maybe that's the biggest misconception around money is it's there's, if you plot it out, the marginal benefit is lower and lower Mm. as you gain more capital. It's almost like, I believe. Yeah. It's like individually is it's not this, there is a number for everyone. And that number, depending on how you grew up, what you need in life, what you want in life, all of that, Mm -hmm. that number is going to be different, but it's almost like once you reach that number individually, that could be your first million, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you may reach a hundred thousand dollars and that's your first million. I'm having a little moment right now. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm on a journey, right? Mm-hmm. I'm with this podcast. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really on a journey about, I feel like I'm, you know, walking through a, a, the forest and there's something at the end of it. And it's this number mm-hmm. and I'm meeting people along the way that have already gone further than I have to, or have on their way back or something, you know, walking mm-hmm. around. And I wanted to just really hear from people. Cause we don't talk about, we don't talk about money en- a- enough. I think I don't, I mean, Maybe not, maybe like, not the truth behind money. We talk truth, about money a lot, but we don't talk it. about 
like what it means and how it changes your life. That's it. And- because on the flip side, was there something that you were able to do or get or gift mm-hmm. that you felt like, I'm glad I did all that work and I'm glad that I got this capital and, and you know, the rest is gravy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think, um, if I was to, to cat, let me, let me, I'll break it down. So, um, when I graduated college and I think I was making $42,000 at a college first year in Portland, Oregon, that felt like good. It wasn't like a crazy amount of money, but at that time, like, great. I, you know, can get my own apartment and I can go to the barcade down the street and not have to worry about finances. Um, so that was sort of like one first milestone. Then basically my career and my salary kind of like elevated more, more linearly over the past, I don't know, let's say five, six, seven years from there on. And then after the acquisition, it was sort of another milestone of, okay, now I I could technically quit, you know, for a year and not have to worry about money. And I could explore another startup idea. I could do something else. Like I can buy my first condo in San Francisco. Like that was another sort of milestone. And now the next milestone, I've been thinking about this, like financially, where do I want to be? Um, and what would make a difference? And I don't, I honestly don't know what the number is, but the thing I would love to, to be able to afford is enough money to just buy my friends trips with me to places and like get yeah. to that point where I can get VIP tickets for all my friends at Coachella and I can pay for the house and I could buy dinner and all that stuff. And cause I not, it's not selfless. It's selfish because I want to do these things, but I want to do them with my friends. Yeah. And, um, and that's like the next milestone that I'm sort of financially trying to, to get to whatever that number is. Yeah. You know, um, the very first episode that was recorded of this podcast never made it to air. Mm. I don't know if I've said it yet on Who is it with? air. I'm going to say it right now. Oh. It was with Casey Neistat. Oh, and yeah. one day we will record another one. And I did the wonderful thing of losing the SD card moments after <laughs> recording. And it was oh. the only option. It was the only recording of it. Mm-hmm. But during it, we talked about this a little bit. And he said that, um, when he made a little money, you know, past the million, he uh, he chartered a plane for his best friend's birthday to go to Vegas oh, wow. from New York. Yeah, and he's like, he did that, and he walked around. He went to the bar, and he told everybody he did it. And he was like, it was for it was. He, people thought he was being so generous, but he's like, it was for me. Yeah, because I yeah. wanted to be able to do that for my buddy. Yeah. You know, and he hasn't done anything like that since. But it was any it, it, it resonates right. Yeah, that and. Uh, I think most people, like when I think about any money, it's always like, I think about it like 80, 20. It's like, if I can have 20 and make sure I'm good and the 80% mm-hmm. is just catalyzing other people in some way, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's the dream. Mm-hmm. That's it right there. Right. So do people automatically, and you can, you can call out some of your friends, right? You don't have to call them by name, but do the, do people just assume you're going to pick up the check these days? No, they don't. Oh, at least, that's cool. at least you, my you hang out with good people then. Yeah, yeah. My, my friends, my friends. I think my close friends really know. I think where I'm at, and, and then I'm not that level yet. Um, and so they never had that expectation. Yeah. Um, but it, but I do have some friends who who have hit that third milestone. And in fact, one of them, one of them is is renting out a villa in um, Costa Rica that we're going to. Oh, cool. And, and, um, you know, we're paying for flights personally, but like otherwise, they're they're covering everything, and it's like great. It's like this is amazing. I want to be able to do this with my friends someday. Yeah. Is that part of the reason that you invest now? Is that one of the many reasons that you invest? Yeah, I think uh, there's, 
I think there's probably three three primary reasons why I invest. One one is hopefully there's some financial return, like for me and and my LPs. Um, that's my fiduciary duty. Um, of course, that's part of it. But then also it's it's to learn and get experience in that side of the world. And and then third is is intellectually, it's it's just like really stimulating yeah. and fun. Um, and and so all three of those things are really good reasons to invest, and um, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, that's great. What's the name of your fund? Weekend fund. Why'd you call it that? I had a long spreadsheet of a bunch of names. And I was like, okay, what am I going to name this thing? And with Product Hunt, I didn't think at all about it. It was just like, for some reason, product, how do you find products hunting? Okay, Product Hunt. Okay, good. Let's do it. So it was like literally last minute decision. With Weekend Fund, I, I spent probably a month going through different ideas. And uh, some of them were were just terrible, of course. And then a lot of them were taken that, that I already liked. And uh, anyway, got to Weekend Fund. And I liked it because of a few different reasons. One, it feels more friendly, hopefully, than like Hoover Capital or something like that. Um, it's also, uh, you know, the story of Product Hunt. It was a start of as like a weekend kind of side project. And that's how many great companies get started. Um I don't know. It just visually, it's just kind of fun. I, there's like a sun kind of like a logo, almost like a Tyco like logo that somebody designed yeah. for me. It's great branding. Um, it's great branding. And I'm, I'm big on branding, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's really good. And it, it, it immediately tells you what it is mm-hmm. and has it evolved since then? Like, is it now something that, cause that, that, that does make it seem like a bit of a hobby. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, out of the first amount of capital, how many investments did you make? Like the first year? Yeah. First year I think was roughly 10, between eight and 10 probably yeah. investments. And then um, you, did you switch it to where you now have, it's a new fund. You have like LP, you have LPs you mentioned. Yeah. Limited partners. Yeah. Um, and so you, now you're, is it, has it evolved in any other way or is it just an extension of what it was? You're just looking for great deals and helping them along. Yeah. It's, it's evolved a little bit. It's been, um, part of it's like, keep it the same, um, and then change it up. Um, in terms of how it's kind of evolved over the past two years. So things that we've, we're doing differently. So one is brought on uh, Vedika's the chief of staff that joined. Uh, she's from London. I got connected to her through Harry Stebbings actually. So yeah, another podcast like guy. Kid. Yeah. Harry's great. He, uh, we, we were emailing and I'm like, Hey, I'm looking to hire somebody. Who do you think? Do you have anyone to recommend? And he's like, just immediately was like, Vedika, she's awesome. Most curious person I know. She at the time was actually doing what she calls fantasy memos. Mm-hmm. So she was pretending almost like acting like a VC writing deal memos yeah. about companies. And um, we just really hit it off. And so she joined about five months ago or so, and she's been helping a lot with all kinds of things. Um, and so we're, she's really leveled up the fund. We're also exploring, we're exploring some ideas around how do we identify people building side projects who are at companies, have really good ideas, very talented but they don't have the the nudge or the social kind of like support network or even the capital to quit and kind of pursue their their dream. And we have a lot of kind of hypotheses around how to approach that problem or that that audience because I think that's a very underserved audience. Like the accelerators don't serve them, most of them don't today. Investors don't because they want you to quit, have a team, have a product out there typically. So, we have some ideas around that. We're kind of approaching it more like an experiment and thinking like, okay, we have some ideas, let's see what might happen if we kind of like yeah. test some of these out. Yeah. Anything that does that sort of uh, economic stimulation, I'm all about. Yeah. So I can't wait to see what comes of that. Yeah. And going back to your, you said she was your, your, what is she? Uh, Chief of staff. Chief of staff. Yeah. What do you think, what do you say to people about preparation? Cause that sounds like a great preparation story. 
like preparation she would, for it, that getting that kind of yeah role or, like she was yeah. making these fantasy memos yeah yeah why did that stand out to you like if someone's thinking listening to this and they they want to stand out what well, what about that was interesting i'll tell a story of some advice i give to people who who have emailed me over the years saying hey ryan how do i break into product management so my my background before product hunt is product management and it's a really hard role because there are very few product managers let's say there's probably for every uh, six engineers, there might be one product manager. Um, and usually it's a product manager for only at companies of like 20, 30 plus people. So very limited roles. The people that get those roles or hiring for those roles are looking for people with experience. And so my advice for people are like, hey, Ryan, how do I break into product management is build side projects. Like just like make up your own work and basically play product manager by building side projects and building products on the side. And that's basically what Vetica was doing. She was on the side pretending and building like, a, you know, a VC firm and doing fantasy investments, basically. And I think that's a great way to, one, get experience, like kind of light experience. And two, just like literally show that you are, show your talents and your, your actual motivation. Because there's so many people who are like, yeah, I want to be a founder. Yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, I want to do that. And they've talked about it for years, but they've never actually done anything. And that's very telling. And what are they waiting on? Usually they, yeah. they, when I, when I ask or you ask, it's got to get funding. Need funding. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. To be an entrepreneur. That's mm -hmm. like saying you need funding to be a singer. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. If it's in you, if you're really a singer, yeah, I don't want to become whoopee and sister act two. Hopefully <laughs> many of you get that reference. Um, <laughs> so what's next? What's next for What's you? What's next for me? Yeah. Or is, um, it seems like maybe that's that's what you're figuring out right now. Like you don't have all the answers and that's kind of cool, right? Yeah. I mean, my I'm committed to what we're doing. There's a few things. There's like the answer is there's a lot of things that are next. Okay. One of them is at Product Hunt, we're building, we're always building something new. And depending on when this this podcast airs, I'm not sure um, the timeline, but we're, we're building something new that's on a new brand, new website that's dedicated I don't know how much I want to share, but it's dedicated to product discovery in general. It'll be like two or three weeks. Okay. So, you can so it'll be around then. It'll be, it'll be a place to show off um, products you use and love and see what other people actually love and use. And I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid on this one, but I'm pretty damn excited about it. It's going to work as long as we really dedicate ourselves and push through, like push through the assumptions and, and test a lot of ideas. Um, so I'm super stoked about it. And that's what gives me energy is like working on new things like that at Product Hunt. And then on the fun side, we're just constantly one keeping doing what we've always been doing, which is try to find really amazing people and founders and back them, but then also experimenting with some of these other ideas on the side where how do we find people building side products and really support them and, and figure out an economic model that makes sense for the fund and for these people um, with an ultimate goal of how do we just help more companies get started like that's, that's what I think the world needs. I know that's maybe cheesy, but generally startups and technology are an enabler for good. I know not always it's depending on how it's applied, but you know, if you look at some of the most transformational companies, they've, they've really created so many jobs, made the world ultimately a better place or made life just a little bit simpler and better. And, um, and there's a lot of those people that could be starting those companies that just don't because they haven't had that, I think, support in the beginning. That's my hypothesis. Do you, does your fund um, have any sort of application process? Yeah. Yeah. We, so we announced this two or three weeks ago. So weekend.fund is the URL and you'll see a link on there for weekend build is kind of what we're calling this experiment. So you can check it out. It's uh, open applications. We're actively going through them right now. I think we have 
We had like 300 people apply so far. So we have a lot to go through. How do people reach you? How do people keep up with what you're doing? Not necessarily reach you because you need a break, <laughs> but how do they keep up with what you want to share with them? Twitter, Twitter. We live on Twitter, both Twitter. you and I, I think a little bit, maybe yeah. too much, um, but I'm RR Hoover on Twitter. RR Hoover. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm on there just enough. <laughs> Uh, but I've been blocking people a lot more lately. Do you block? Yeah. Do you block people? I mute. I rarely, I only block if it's a bot or if it's like clearly. Um, yeah. But, but I mute because it's one, it doesn't give them satisfaction mm-hmm. of screenshotting that. Yes. And um, in fact, today I muted somebody I follow um, as well. I don't unfollow people because yeah. I don't want them. I don't want them to feel like, oh, what did I do wrong? Or, oh, Ryan doesn't like me. Yeah. It's going back to what I said before. I don't want to displease somebody. But you don't need that in your life to look at it all the time. Right. right. So this in particular case, this person is just always so negative and, you know, mm. bringing, I think, the Twitter sphere down a little yeah, bit. But I yeah. don't want to unfollow them. So I just muted them for a little do you bit. Get, do you, are you in the fray of that? Like, do you experience a lot of trolls? Or have you been yeah. around someone who does and kind of see how that how it is to post and not get love. Yeah. Yeah. It's every now and then I certainly, I'm sure I don't get it nearly as much as some people for sure. Um, I've been in moments of extreme um, harassment in Mm. in some cases, there was one instance where I'm not even going to name the network because I don't want to draw any attention to them, but there there's a network, a social network on the internet that has this really um, hateful community and somehow I got looped into a conversation about interracial marriage. Susie is Korean. I'm white. Oh, okay. And then a bunch of their, their followers and people kind of like just started going off on me uh, and some other people in the thread. And I'm like, I think I blocked maybe 80 people over yeah. the course of 48 hours. I'm like, now that wasn't, that didn't hurt my ego or anything. Cause it, when it's people like that, who I don't care about that, I have no connection with it's, it's fine. I don't care about that, but it's when people either misconstrue something I said or, or think I'm a way that I'm not that are maybe in our uh, community of the tech tech mm. world in general. Those are the things I would like more. Those things hurt me more, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You, you give the respect to those who need the respect. It sounds like, like these yeah. nameless, faceless people who have no business in yours mm-hmm. doesn't matter, mm-hmm. but sometimes it does sting. That one person saying something off kind of stings if yeah. you know them. Yeah, I, yeah, that sucks. Sorry about that. I mean, I mean, it's I it don't happens. face it nearly as much as other people. Yeah, so. it happens all the time to so many people. But it's it's it should never be okay, and it should never be like oh, it just happened. You know. Anyway, I'm sure that can be an entire episode of another podcast. But I was just wondering. Yeah. So now that we have heard that story, go yeah. follow um, <laughs> Ryan on Twitter. RR Hoover. You mm-hmm. said thanks so much for hosting me at your place. Thanks, Ryan Hoover. Yes, really thanks for me. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in uh, 2020. It'll be out as the real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be, you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast.